thanks. You can be seated. We are continuing our series on the parables of Jesus Christ. The last couple of weeks, we have been um, talking about uh, parables about stewardship. And this morning, we're going to look at a, a parable about discipleship. Uh, at this point in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he's coming very close to the end. Uh, within a month of this passage, he is going to be on a cross. He is on his way to Jericho and then uh, Jerusalem. And as he comes to the end of his ministry, the crowds start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what's interesting in this passage is Jesus, as he starts to see these people who want to follow him, takes the opportunity to describe and to give us some insight on what it means to really follow him. So our passage is going to be starting in Luke chapter 14. It follows a parable about, a judgment parable about the supper, great supper. And here's what it says. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person can't be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay a foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation with the other till, who is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor a manure pot. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as we look at that and as we read it, some of that kind of doesn't fit altogether, but I'm going to help you, I think, this morning put some of the pieces together with it. What happens is, as the crowds are getting larger, Jesus has to define what it means to follow him. He has to help people understand what is discipleship. It's interesting to me because in our culture, we want churches to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and so what we do is we tend to have this attitude of, what do I need to do to attract more people? Jesus just does just the opposite. The more people come, the harder his message is. This isn't a message of comfort. This isn't a message of encouragement. Jesus starts defining terms to make it more difficult to follow him. He uses terms like cross and death and sacrifice. It's those kind of concepts. That, so we don't get this version of Christianity light, so to speak, uh, from the words of Jesus. And three times in this passage, he says, cannot be my disciple. He focuses on the fact that if you just say you want to follow me, no, no, no. If you really want to follow me, here's some terms. Here's what it's going to mean. He in here addresses basically ideas that if you think about life for a minute, 
basically, life is focused on us, on other people, and on our stuff. And Jesus, in this passage, addresses how, you have, how all three of those things relate to him. So he talks about how you have to view yourself. He talks about how you have to view others. He talks about how you have to um, be willing to surrender at all. It's an all or nothing kind of thing. So let's walk through them and get a good understanding of the passage, and then let's talk about application for us for the week. First thing that Jesus deals with in this passage is your past. Specifically, your relationship. Now, we have a problem with this when we read this passage because he says, it looks like Jesus is saying, hate your brothers and sisters and your mother and your father and everybody else. But we know that Jesus, when they asked him what the greatest commandment was, he said, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. We know that Jesus does not tell us to hate people. We understand that. So what's he mean here? It's actually a term of comparison. Uh, the same passage, by the way, same idea is used in the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. When it says his love for Rachel, uh, his love for, for Rachel looked like hate to Leah. In other words, it's a comparison term. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, if you take every relationship that's important to you, spouse, kids, family, whatever else, and you compare it with your love to me, that looks like hate. That's how much you have to love God with all your heart. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to love me wholeheartedly. You have to give it all. Your love for me should be so great that when anything else is compared to it, when anything else is stacked up against it, it looks like hate. And that's what he talks about when he says, he, he looks at this crowd and he goes, look, if you're going to follow me, this isn't a you can just do it partway kind of thing. He said, if you're going to follow me, it's, it's going to have to be that mindset of loving me with everything you've got. And again, this was something the Jews would say. They would quote the Shema every single day. They knew the passage about loving the Lord your God. Second thing that he gives an idea here is he deals with your present. He's asking about what is it that, that, that motivates you? What is it that, that drives you? Um, and he uses this story about a tower, and it seems like it's out of place, but it's really not. Um, he's talking about in the tower deal, again, in this culture, they would build towers for a number of reasons. Sometimes they would build them to, uh, for instance, if you, were, if you had uh, um, uh, animals, you would build a tower so you could get up high so you could see if there's any predators coming. Sometimes if you were trying to protect your, your thing, you wouldn't go and get a security system, you'd build a tower. And in this story, the guy chooses to build the tower. And Jesus brings up this point, and he says, look, if a guy's going to build a tower, and he doesn't count the cost first, everybody's going to make fun of him. Everyone's going to ridicule him. Because he didn't have enough money to finish it. He said, a smart, wise person, he figures out what it's going to cost. Before he ever starts to build, he knows what's involved. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you better think really long and hard about what's involved to be my disciple. What's it going to cost you? Then he uses this analogy of a king going to war because he's being attacked. And he said, a king, you need to think about it from a king's perspective. If I've got 10,000 uh, 10, man army and they've got a 20,000 man army, 
at some point you sit there and go, you know what, why do we want to lose all of these lives? Let's see if we can negotiate something here. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, here's what you need to understand. You're signing up for a battle. And it's not going to be easy. And you're going to have to figure out what's worth battling and what's not worth battling. And then he ends with this thing that looks so out of place about salt. Like, how in the world does salt fit into discipleship? Here's what you need to understand. He's outside of Jericho. They're not far from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea was one of the primary areas that they got salt in that day. Here's a problem with Dead Sea salt. It had gypsum in it. So in order to use it, in order to be able to use it, they had to process the gypsum out of the salt in order to make it profitable. If they didn't do that, it had no taste. It was worthless. And it would, and it would just get thrown out. And Jesus is saying this, look, and he's already said this when, in his other teaching, that we are to be the salt of the earth. He's already talked about this idea of Christians as salt. And he's saying, look, you need to understand, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, I want salt that makes a difference. And if it's not going to make a difference, you're not helping the kingdom of God. And really, you cannot be my disciple if you're not willing to do that. So he lays out these terms pretty explicitly to this crowd. So let's talk about it for us as we head into the the week and some things to maybe uh, understand as we deal with this issue of discipleship and following Jesus. So, I mean, what does it really mean? If, if, if we're, and we have people here. I, I don't have any questions. We have people here, you may have been to church, like you heard some of the testimonies. I've been to church all my life, but it was never real. We're talking about what it means to really, genuinely, really be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And as he preaches to these crowds, he he lays out these terms, and he uses these analogies to help them understand. So let's talk about it for us today. First thing that you see in the life of Jesus when it comes to discipleship is this idea that he is incredibly serious about discipleship. Um, Jesus isn't interested in some emotional response. He wants something that's going to change the way you think the way you function, the way you act. I am a firm believer that if you are a child of God, if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be a better husband than anybody in the world. You should be a better employee, a better employer. You should be a better neighbor. I am a firm believer that because we work in order to please our Savior, we hold ourselves to a higher standard than anybody else does in the world. Why? Because we're working for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, one of the things that you're going to have to do, and he talks about this, you're going to have to die to yourself. That's not what you're hearing preached today. Um, I like what one guy said, and I started looking through this, and I thought, you know, I've lived through most of this. In the 60s, Remember what the theme of the 60s was? Find yourself. Explore and find some of your 60s. I wasn't even born there. Well, some of us were. Um, the 70s. Remember the 70s? Improve yourself. We had all those workout videos. Richard Simmons, remember that? We had all those workout videos about improve yourself. Then we got to the 80s, and it was... Serve yourself. It's all about your toys. It's all about your stuff. Get more stuff. 
Then we got to the 90s. And that was the love yourself generation. You know, feel good, you know, love yourself and, 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 and do all these things, that kind of mentality. Then we had 2000, and it really became a world of protect yourself. 9-11 changed a lot of our thinking and how we looked at things. And so all of a sudden we started with this skepticism thing, and we saw everybody as a danger or as a threat. Um, we got to 2000, uh, 2010, and really the Internet and social media and those kind of things start kicking in. And so we get in this thing where it's all about digitizing yourself, and you have this digital presence, and you have this this out there kind of mentality. And then we're in a culture now where it's all about self-care, um, where, you know, you're supposed to worry about everybody else's health as well as your own, and you're supposed to, it's, it's all about self. Here's the problem. Out of all of those generations, nobody's ever talked about what Jesus talked about. Die for yourself. It's not about you. And when Jesus, as the crowds get bigger, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, here's what you need to understand. It's not going to be about you anymore. You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to take up a cross. And let me tell you something. Anybody, anybody who had ever seen a crucifixion or watched somebody going to a crucifixion wanted no part of that. And Jesus was basically saying, look, you're going to have to be willing to do that if you want to follow me. You're going to have to be able to carry a cross. Um, following me is in a world of rainbows and puppy dogs. Following me is going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to suffer, and there's going to be hardship that comes out. And ultimately, you have to be sold out completely to me. And Jesus preaches this and teaches In fact, it's interesting. He uses a phrase in verse 33 that literally means to give it all up. To be able to say, God, anything that I have is yours. It's not mine. I'm just a steward of it. It's a whole different mindset. It's not about, well, I get to spend so much on me and so much here and so much. No, no, no. It's all God's. I see everything that I have as God's. My children, my job, my family, my stuff. It's all God's. I'm just a steward of it. We have watched over the years the impact of somebody who has totally sold out. World War II, we had the kamikaze pilots who said, basically, strap a bomb to my plane. I will fly it in and take out as many lives as possible. We had 32 ships, 34 ships were destroyed with 1,200 kamikaze pilots who said, I'll give it all. Those of you who remember 9-11, 19 people, 19 people who said, my life's not important. When you look at Christianity, you look at 11 disciples who said, I'll give it all. And if you go back in history and you look at how each of them died, they paid the ultimate price. In fact, when they went to crucify Peter, it's interesting, History says when they went to crucify Peter, they were going to crucify Peter. And you know what Peter said? Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. If you know anything about crucifixion, it would have lasted much longer. Upside down. 
That's the kind of commitment that we're talking about. The kind of commitment that says, I will give everything up for Christ. And if that means my health, if that means my difficulty, my job, whatever it takes, that's discipleship. Second thing you see about this in this story is if you're going to follow Christ, you need to understand this. People are watching. And they're putting you under a microscope. People can swear all day long at work, and nobody will say a thing. Let someone who doesn't swear and calls themselves a Christian use one word, one time, in one year. And they will pick up on it in a heartbeat. Why? Because they're watching. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you're going to follow me, you need to understand they're watching. So you'd better make sure you have thought about what it's going to cost to follow me before you jump on this boat. And that's what he says. He says, look, everybody looks at the guy who builds a tower and goes, hey, you know what? He didn't think about it before he did it. How foolish. And they ridicule the guy and they make fun of the guy because he's got a half-built tower. And one of the things that I see in Christianity, we have a lot of people who say, you know what? I want to go in, I want to be a Christian. I want to be associated with Christ. But we've got a whole bunch of half-built towers around. Why? Because it got hard and they quit. Because it got difficult and they bailed. Because it wasn't the rainbows and puppy dogs and roses that they thought it was going to be. And they found out that, you know what? This Christian life thing is hard. And if you don't believe me, jump in it. And if you really want to jump into it, jump into ministry. That's a whole other level of it. I mean, that takes a whole different mindset and a different level of difficulty and hardship in what we go through. And it may cost you. It may cost you. It may cost you friends. It may co- we have people here who, because they come here, because they became a Christian, because they decided to follow Jesus Christ, their family will not have anything to do with them. It may cost you business. In the early church, it's interesting, in the early church, um, baptism was really a defining mark. In the book of Acts, for instance, Um, It talks about Pentecost, and there's 3,000 people that were saved. It doesn't even count the people who didn't get baptized. It says there are 3,000 people who were saved and baptized that day. Because you see, when you made that mark in the early church particularly, people stopped doing business with you. People didn't want anything to do with you. Family members would disown you. In some cases, you would have to move out of your home. In some cases, all social relationships were removed from you. That's why when the book of, in the book of Acts, when the church starts meeting, it was so important that they encouraged each other, that they fed each other, that they took care of each other, that they hired each other, that they made sure that each person was taken care of. Because many people, by following Christ, would, would have been pushed away completely from their family. And Jesus says, look, don't be a half-built tower. If you're going to follow me, be all in. And you need to, before you decide to become a Christian, you need to really sit down and ask yourself, what's the cost? In business, there's a thing called uh, um, cost-to-benefit ratio. And what you do is you step back and you go, okay, this is what it's going to cost, this is the benefit to our company. Is it worth it? And what I would challenge you to do, again, the crowd's getting bigger. Jesus isn't a, uh, okay, everybody, let's just go have a happy party. Jesus is like, wait a minute, before you keep going, before you take another step, 
do a cost analysis and decide whether or not it's worth it. Because if it's not, I don't want you to follow me. In fact, if you decide it's not worth it, you cannot be my disciple. That's what he says. He zeroes this thing down. And then he gets to this king thing, which is the last idea. And it's the idea that you need to understand what you're signing up for if you're, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to understand you're signing up to be in a battle. When you have rejected Christ or when you have not accepted Christ, Satan has you and he's fine with keeping your life the way it is. But the second you become a Christian, you need to understand, you painted a bullseye on your back. And that bullseye basically says, Satan, come and get me. Because I'm not in your army anymore. I'm with God. And if you haven't figured it out yet, then you probably haven't been a Christian more than an hour or two. But when you sign up to be a Christian, a follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, Satan starts an all-out war and attack on you. And he will do everything he can to bring you down. Everything. He will push everybody. You know, brothers and sisters, you know how they can push each other's button? We're seeing this in our grandchildren. Um, how they can push each other's buttons. Satan's going to keep pushing buttons until he gets you to respond. Until he gets you to fight. Until he starts making a headway. And he's going to keep pecking away, pushing buttons, trying different things until he starts figuring out where your weaknesses and your strengths are. Why? Because you're in a battle now. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand that. A lot of people think that, well, if I follow Christ, it'll get easier. No, I'm just here to tell you. If you follow Christ, it's going to get harder. Straight up. It's, it's not a life of comfort and ease. It's a life of difficulty. And I'm going to suggest, if you do a deep study of Scripture, you know what you're going to find? Christians go through more difficult things than the world. Because Satan comes all out at you. And you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to sign up for the battle? You want to follow Christ? Are you going to be willing to sign up for the battle? One of the things that uh, you've heard me talk about this, that often in Scripture, there are, Scripture's like an onion. There's all these layers to it. And it's made so that a child, a simple child, can understand that outside layer. And then as you start to dig and study, you start to see more and more and more. I think there's an interesting study here for a rabbit trail or an onion layer or whatever you else. But as I look at our culture today, here's what I think Satan's greatest ploy is today. I think one of the things that Satan has done, particularly in the last couple of years, is Satan has gotten us to fight battles we should never be fighting. I think Satan has realized that, you know what, if I push this button, they'll respond. And I'm watching, sadly, Christians who've had this phenomenal testimony for years get sidetracked by battling things that we should, that, that it's silly. And the battles that we're taking on, we do on social media, which is even sillier. I mean, you think about it for a minute. When was the last time your mind was changed because somebody posted something? Oh, I'm enlightened now. Yes, I'll embrace that. It doesn't work like that. Everybody starts nitpicking and taking sides and everything else. And I think, it, again, I'm not saying you don't have a position, but I'm saying you, 
you choose which fights you have. And we're in a culture where we just seem like we got to fight everything, and I think Satan wins when we do that. You know, so let me get, you know, again, I'm, I'm not opposed to getting people mad, so let me go at it. The mask thing. Go through my social media and see if you can find a post about a mask. You know why I don't do it? I'm not going to change anybody's mind. Do I have an opinion? Just talk to me privately. I don't care. I don't care. Why do I want to fight about that? Why do I want to divide over that? Why do I want to struggle with that? Why do I want to play that game? I mean, what? And, and we jump into this battle and we, get, we have years of testimony and relationship that we built that we get all bent out of shape over and divide over because of a piece of cloth. How insane is that? Tell me Satan hasn't won when we start playing those games. You know? And I don't want, you know, again, Disney has its own issues, but let it go. Let it go. I mean, really. There are so many more important things to talk about. And we get sidetracked because we start picking battles, A, that we're never going to win, and B, that don't make any difference, and are going to hurt us more than they will ever help us. That's crazy. But if you're going to sign up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, Satan will use every single thing he can use, and he doesn't care how small or how big. And I just want to challenge you with this, because I think we forget this sometimes. We forget that you are in a battle. You know, I have people go, oh, you know, this world is, this world's going down quick. Really? Have you not read your Bible? I can't even tell you what's coming next. I can tell you, well, everything's so bad right now, it can't get any worse. Oh, yes, it can. And yes, it will. And yes, it will. Oh, no, 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 no. Do you know that there are times, as bad as it is right now with some stuff that's going on in the area of morality and things like that, do you know that there are historical times that it has been much, much, much worse? Have you Jesus is coming back. Yes, Jesus is coming back. Well, because it's so bad, he's going to come back soon. He's going to come back when he comes back. Doesn't have to get any better, doesn't have to get any worse. He's just going to come back. So be ready. You know, but we get into this thing, and, and I think we forget this. So I just want to challenge you. Jesus wants people to follow him. But he's not interested in a bunch of half-built towers. He's not interested in people saying, I will follow you, but I'm not going to give up this area of my life. I will follow you, but you know what? That's too much. You can't be his disciple. Can not. Well, I think you know, you know, you don't understand. I've trusted him as my savior, but I'm gonna live my life the way I want to live my life. Then you know what? I'm gonna say this as lovingly and as kindly as I can. You need to go back and read the book of First John. You need to go back and read the book of James, because the conclusion of those two books and this teaching are you cannot be his disciple. Because he doesn't take disciples who set their own terms. It's all in. All in. 
Are you saying we're perfect? No, I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying we're all in. As Jesus defines discipleship, he does not make it easy. He makes it real. And he doesn't, he doesn't try to trick you to say, you know, follow me, it's all going to be good. And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, this is what you know. And she says, look, if you're going to follow me, here's what you need to know. I want people who are all in. I want people who love me with a passion so that when you look at their love for me versus their love for anybody or anything else, it looks like hate. And I want people who will make a difference and be salt that is salt. And if you want that, come follow me. Because that's what I'm going to do. And that's what my kingdom's going to be about. So as I end this morning, I end with this. In the power and the parable of the tower and the king, Jesus lays out the terms for discipleship. Jesus is not interested in follows who will not follow through. He has to be the essential thing in your life. And all your life has to revolve around him. Discipleship requires an all or nothing commitment. As a true disciple, you are a steward of everything God has given you. And you are an owner of none. Let's pray. Lord, may we be the kind of followers that there's no question you have our whole heart. Lord, when we're tempted to struggle with areas of our life that we want to control, may we make sure that you own them all. God, may we be willing to pay whatever price we need to pay in order for you to be honored and glorified in our lives. Lord, may we understand that to follow you means you get to call all the shots. So Lord, use us. Lord, there's a world that is struggling. There's a world that's in pain. There's a world that's in hurt. And they desperately need a Savior. So Lord, may we be the one that show and point the way to you alone. These things we ask in your precious name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. We're going to sing the first verse, nothing but the blood. Let's stand together as we sing. Thank you.